we were expecting our first child and um he came early and to our surprise, he had Down syndrome. It was the first child, like it was unbelievably devastating. Like this was not something I could deal with at all. So I've been through some hard knocks, not like you, but I certainly saw them and growing up in a house like that, it was hard to whatever. So I always just could always, I always had that philosophy of like, if you don't like it, it's not working, fix it. Nobody's going to help you just go. So this happened. And and when I, like when the doctor told me this and I just like, it was just like falling backwards into an elevator shaft. It was like the worst. And I looked into myself like deep, you know, I just looked and every other time my whole life when I had that moment and I looked inside myself and I just found where you could grab onto those bootstraps and just, you know, I'm going to get through this. It was nothing. It was just a black void. There was nothing there. Sean Dustin spent time in federal and state prison for drug trafficking and fraud. Upon release in 2006, he had nothing but the clothes on his back, a bag of mail, and legal paperwork. In 2010, he kicked a long-time methamphetamine habit and started the long climb back up the ladder of life. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. If you want transparency and authenticity, you're in the right place. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast, and this is Sean Dustin. What's up? This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast, and I'm your host, Sean Dustin. If this is your first time listening, welcome. If you're returning, welcome back. It's good to have you with us this evening. Uh, a couple of announcements I have. If you're getting any kind of value out of what I'm doing, do me a favor and subscribe, rate, or review. If you're on YouTube, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Thumbs the video up, please. Uh, podcast platforms, same thing, all of them. Just subscribe. It'll help my listenership, and it'll help me grow and be more visible on the podcast platforms. If you're on Facebook, do me a favor, like it and share. Uh, all of the links to this show and relevant links to my guests will be available in the description. Uh, you can catch my link tree and everything else where I'm at and how to support the show, how to connect to the show, how to all the social media, everything that has to do with this show is available in the link tree. Um, last yesterday actually was episode 100. So that was pretty, pretty cool. Um, that was a, a, a major milestone for me. Never thought I would get to episode 100. Actually never thought I'd get to episode 10 either. So, but it was definitely a great show. Uh, it was a little bit long, longer than I like. I usually like to go about an hour. Uh, but we went to two hours, 11 minutes yesterday. And, uh, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff in there. So I want to introduce my guest this evening. Uh, her name is Monica Perez, which is the co-host of the Propaganda Report podcast. Uh, Monica was hosted a, her own show called the Monica Perez Show for eight and a half years on WSB in Atlanta. She is also a chartered financial analyst and a member of the Bar of New York State. How I came across Monica and, you know, the, her, um, 
investigative journalism and all the information that she puts out uh, in her content was through the Union of the Unwanted. And that's one of my favorite shows. And the host of that show is Ricky Verandis, who is he hosts another uh, podcast called The Ripple Effect. And his show is doing absolutely that. It's amazing. You should check it out. And uh, we'll talk about that as well. So I'm going to bring Monica in here. Hi, Monica. Hey, Sean. Hi. How are you? Great, thanks. I'm very happy to be here. I love the concept of your show. It's so positive. Well, thank you. Yeah, well, my life wasn't very positive for a lot of years. And, uh, you know, somehow I just sort of made my way around and got through it. And here I am trying to help other people get through it and talk about other things that I like too. I have eight brothers and sisters and I lost two of them to drug abuse. So I know how it, it seems from the outside to be impossible to get over a crutch without your crutch. It's almost yeah. like impossible because it is how you dealt with everything. And so I'm absolutely certain that you're, story comes with a whole lot of character building and strength and really unique. However, I think that anyone can do it. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think that your concept is so great because what you're, what I'd like to know from you is how you did it. Because I know lots of people who haven't done it, who don't seem like they're any worse people than anybody else and just cannot do it. Yeah, a lot of it, a lot of it came down to, uh, I mean, it was a, a lot of trials and failures and trying and failing and trying and failing. And I mean, like I said, it lasted for about 18 years, uh, in 18 different institutions, prisons, jails, rehabs, um, a lot of broken relationships, a lot of, um, uh, lost a lot of people in my life as well too. So, uh, I, and it just, at one point I just got tired of being tired and the clock was ticking. I was 30 in my early thirties with nothing to look forward to, nothing to look back on, nothing to like what, no retirement, no anything like, what am I going to do? And so reality just kind of set in and it's like, all right, well, you got to start figuring it out. And in my last, uh, on my last, um, violation, I kind of stopped doing uh, drugs and, and smoking like a month prior to turning myself into the federal system. And I just like, okay, well, I don't want to do it anymore after that. So I just continued it and continued it and figured out a way to start building my own self-esteem through uh, attaining, uh, uh, having goals, attaining them. And then I just kept leveling up, leveling up, leveling up, not picking up. And, you know, eventually I got to where I'm at now. I have a question for you and then yeah. I won't ask any more questions. And yeah, then we can talk it. about you. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. But I want to know if when, if it is true that if you can um, pull yourself up, I don't know if I was going to ask that you, that if you don't, this is what I was going to ask. If you don't like something about yourself, do you need a psychiatrist or do you need to change that thing? Like, do you need to get okay with it? So this is what I think is a, a like a big turning point when you take control of your life is that a lot of people say, well, you should, you know, I don't like this about it. it's because you hate yourself and that's why you act like that. And I actually think sometimes what you don't like about yourself is something that you should change, not accept. And 
I just wonder if that, you know, when you, when you decided to build self-esteem, was it because you said I'm okay? Or cause you said, well, I think you answered the question. I'm doing stuff. Yeah. Well, it was more along the lines of that. I had years of, um, doing things in the wrong direction. And so like the things that I would get, uh, like build my self-esteem on was like false. It was a false sense. It was, you know, in, doing criminal activity and doing other things, you know, scoring drugs, selling drugs, uh, strip clubs, um, you know, attention from toxic females or females that didn't have, you know, very high self-esteem, which I targeted for that very reason. Um, and so all of that stuff, I mean, it doesn't make you feel good. And then the drugs just kind of like numbed all of that. Like, Oh yeah, I'm kind of a piece of shit, but I'm just going to go ahead and get high. So I don't notice it and I don't care. Uh, when all that's gone, it, it, it really would bother me, you know, so it would, I would have to stay high. Um, but to answer your question, I, th- a lot of, a lot of finding out what I didn't like about myself was through realizing that most of the time when I didn't like something in somebody else, it was really what I didn't like about me. And so that shadow work, you know what I mean? That shadow work that we have to do, you know, I, and when I talk about shadow work, it's almost like, and I use, I use, um, this analogy because for me, it was the easiest to understand. So there's this guy that's super, uh, homophobic and just can't stand gay people, just puts them down. Ah, Turn to find out. (laughs) <laughs> the reason why you don't like it is because like them and you're so hateful towards them is because you're attracted to them or you're attracted to, you know, a man or that activity and you don't like that in yourself. So now you try to, you know, hate it out of hate it out of yourself. Does that make any sense? Yeah. I've actually seen that exact example in action. I'm like, Oh, that's like an extreme reaction. And then thought, Oh, I understand why now. Yeah. So, but it's interesting that you said that you got a false sense of esteem from like being great at scoring drugs and stuff. That's an interesting stumbling point because people do feel cool. It's glamorized. We get tons of mixed messages from the media. The government on the one hand arrests people for doing drugs and on the other hand is the biggest drug dealer in the world. Like obviously it's Mm -hmm. set up and it's really meant to be difficult to crawl your way out of. And those are like the hardest things, but I, I feel like there's a lot to in your side yourself mm-hmm. that you have to access. That really isn't going to come from anywhere else. And I, I did find that out myself and Lee. And yeah. when we, you got me to think about, you know, cause you sent me some questions and ways yeah, to yeah. trigger thinking. So I do have a story for you, even though I'm asking you about your story. No, no, that, that's great. I mean, I, I love the dialogue. I like being, a, I mean, cause I'm a fan. I mean, honestly, oh, I'm, 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 I'm a, I'm a fan of yours and, and your show and, you know, especially all the stuff that you've been doing with, uh, 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 Favrito. Yeah, um, Garland. Garland. And I've been I following mean. that whole thing and, you know, people, it's really, you know, somebody said this one, this, this quote, and it, and it's so true to, to where we're at is the devil's greatest trick was he convinced everybody he didn't exist. Totally agree. And that's yes. where we are. We have half the population that 
that follows one thing. We have half the population that is of another mindset. And we have somebody, you know, in the middle that's controlling all of it and making everybody hate each other. Right. Yeah, I think that was a Kaiser Sose quote. Yeah, was it? Okay. I think it's Kaiser Sose. So yeah, Garland is the guy. He's the election integrity activist that I've known for probably 10 years out of Georgia who is really fighting the good fight. He's almost the last man standing. He's such a good guy. And every week he comes on our show exclusively to tell us about the lawsuits that he continues to fight. I mean, it'd be easy to give up and neither of us voted for Trump. But we both know that the integrity of the elections is kind of, I mean, for me, I'm an anarcho-capitalist. I, I don't think that self-limiting government is theoretically possible or possible in reality. However, I also wonder if the whole state of civilization, which I'm not even sure I, I like civilization anymore. I almost wonder if civilization is the problem. <laughs> but the whole, I mean, if we're going to live this, I really don't want revolution for my kids and like a technical, technological revolution or um, backwards or forwards, none of that. I want to kick the can. And I think that maybe civilization, our struggle with civilization is just a constant battle to kick that can before totalitarian descends once again. And then we, you know, go into the rubble and try to build up from there. So what Garland and I think, I think we're both on the same page in that for me, I, I don't believe in self-limiting government. I don't think it's possible. However, we have a constitution, we have a bill of rights, we have laws and rules, and it does keep them in check. Not a hundred percent, maybe not even 50%. But if we can keep fighting that fight on those terms and they still say, yes, there's a constitution, yes, there's a bill of rights, they have to answer to it. I think we are approaching a post-constitutional world that it's not true, but, but I'll go down fighting. And if fighting is just being a ball buster, I mean, I don't know if I can use bad words. Yeah, 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 you can. Um, that and just say, you know, well, answer the question, answer the question. Where are the ballots? Answer the question, because he has affidavits from poll workers in the audit process in Georgia, which is used to suggest people hold it up and say, see, there was an audit. See, there was a recount. See, there's no problem in Georgia. Well, the poll workers at the audit said there were piles of supposedly mailed in ballots that had no crease marks. So they did not arrive in an envelope. They were on the wrong paper stock and they were not the little circles appeared to be printed with toner. They were perfect circles and there was no impression like a pencil or pen would make. And he has mm. four sworn affidavits that there were a lot of these ballots. And, and he may, it may be included in that, that some ballots were, um, many ballots were rescanned, same ballots over and over and over again, because they're not marked in any way. So all he's doing is suing to look at the ballots and, and the government of Georgia is fighting that. I mean, it makes no sense. Why are you fighting that? It's going to be divisive. No, we'll be uniting because you, you're pretending they're real, right? Mm -hmm. So if there's nothing to see, then why make us fight this fight? It's like Pizzagate. Why don't they just investigate it? Just investigate yeah, yeah. it. They wouldn't investigate it. You know, that's not true. That can't be possible. If they called, if any random person called the cops on you and said stuff like they said about that, they were required by law to investigate it. Yeah. So anyway, that's what Garland, Call, talks to us about every week and people are really riveted because it's like the last bastion of truth out there and it's just simply for the sake of um integrity of the system for as long as we can keep it going yeah yeah i mean it's it, uh, never in a million years would have thought that we would be where we are right now and i just i mean irregardless of how i feel about it i i look at 
you know, the facts of people like smart people like yourself. Um, and, and, you know, like Jason Burmis is another one who, you know, all of his information that, that he has, he puts it right up on his share screen. So you can go and look at it for yourself. Hey man, don't take my word for it. Go look for yourself. And those are the kind of people that I like to follow. You know, he wasn't a Trump supporter. He wasn't, you know, and, and I, I mean, I wasn't either And it, you know, but- no, I'm not, I've not, I've never been a Trump supporter. I'm just a hardcore libertarian, yeah. but the people, but I was on terrestrial radio. I had a radio show and it was on the conservative channel. It had rush was mm-hmm. like, I was on Saturdays, but on Friday at that time slot was rush. So people mm-hmm. were getting in the car coming off a of rush and listening to me. I'm a libertarian mm-hmm. and they were listening to Fox news. They were listening to WSB all the time. And I found that I, in order to set the records, first of all, they always thought I was like a liberal just because yeah, yeah. I wasn't saying what they were saying. And I'm very much not a liberal. I'm an anarchist, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, I don't, and not like a, a communist anarchist, like a, there's only one law. Don't touch me or my stuff. And yeah. I can kill you if you try, like that's not a liberal. <laughs> so mm-hmm. they couldn't hear that because they were hearing they, I just wasn't saying what the other people were saying, but their, their requirement, I would have to anticipate what the callers were going to say. And I would have to really do my research. Whereas the people who just repeated what Rush said, they, you know, literally his listeners are called ditto heads. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. the people who would listen, they wouldn't say, how do you know, Rush? You know, it's just like, well, Rush said, like they were sourcing what they were yeah. saying to me by Rush. And I'm like, well, I don't get to just tell you some guy on the radio said, you need me to prove to you that the Iranians are not breaking the nuclear deal, which, you know, I don't care about the Iranians. <laughs> I'm just saying the stories that you're hearing are lies. And you would have to, I, I mean, the research I would have to do for a three hour show would be like two days because I would anticipate all the calls. And so I just feel like there's such a higher level of integrity in the alternative media now, especially mm-hmm. since like Cumulus put out a memo and I'm sure a million other places did too, saying, or all six places also saying, you know, there's like six media companies. Saying if you talk about election integrity issues, you are off the air. I mean, how is that a free press? That's the only, you know, there was a common core thing where I was looking up what is common core a long time ago. And one of the items was I I looked up the constitution on the Mm -hmm. Georgia common core and it said, here's an example of a discussion about the constitution is the following bumper stickers, bumper sticker protected by the first amendment. And the bumper sticker was, I love titties. I was like, okay, this is, this is your discussion of the constitution. Okay. That's your discussion of the first amendment. How about this? The integrity of the election is the reason we have a first amendment. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So not being able to, I'm not saying that cumulus is required to, because they're not the government, you know, anybody, they have to be, they have to follow the rules that the government, because they have, they have licenses, they they know where their bread is buttered and in the 2020 ushered in this era where we can just we basically shut everybody down and we'll give people a loan who we want surviving i mean it's it's this two-way fascism where the government keeps the companies going that's kind of traditional fascism Mm -hmm. but then there's this inverted fascism where the companies themselves put down this regime of laws that you couldn't actually get passed legislatively, but because they have these oligopolistic industries or monopolistic industries where they kind of control everything, if you want to function economically in your chosen field, you have to obey these rules that look like they're just a private company doing private things. 
but it's I, I don't I'm not buying that anymore. But that's why I mm. think that that the independent media as as like marginalized as it is, is really the only place you can get um real information. And that's why we're like, had to move on to private servers. I got deplatformed from WordPress. I got fired when I started talking about COVID after eight and a half years on my show. Um, and about event 201 was actually, it was the kind of backstory of COVID. I was telling, mm-hmm. I was anticipating what was going to happen, you know, yeah, yeah, because yeah. the thing was just a blueprint. I wasn't like prescient, but it was pretty clear. And, um, and whatever YouTube, everybody kind of just, you know, they marginalize us to the point where we have to move off big tech and then it's just expensive and it's hard to spread the word. That's why I love the union of the unwanted. Yeah. That's a great show. Um, it's that, so great. It was, and that was actually one of the first people that I ever had on, uh, Ricky Verandis, uh, that I was like a fan, like fanboy, you know what I mean? And, 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 yeah, and, yeah. and he said yes. And I was yeah. like, Oh my God, my first, you know, somebody who I actually watched. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Someone I actually watch and, and, you know, there was a whole story behind that and he was, uh, but yeah, that, that's a great show. Uh, Sam Tripoli, another one. And I originally, so my first, you know, inkling or, or, or touch into this, this kind of world was when I was in prison, uh, federal prison. I was in there with, uh, Fritz Springmeier who wrote the bloodlines of the Illuminati. Oh, oh, I thought, I think you might have mentioned that really blew me away. Wow. Yeah. yeah I have that book. Yeah, yeah. And so I used to walk the track with him, uh, every night and just wow. listen, not, maybe not every night, but I mean, quite a bit. Never. And he was just, and I was just this dumb kid that didn't know, you know, I mean, I was in my late twenties, thirties, but I mean, I'd been on drugs and so right. I, mean, I wasn't really, and you can just clip those years right out of the yeah, experience. Exactly. And so I was just hanging on his word and going, Oh my God. And then when I got out, I just kind of forgot about it. And, um, and then my next, uh, thing is probably in 2006 when, when I had gotten out, I think I got a, I'd finally gotten a laptop and YouTube, um, I find, I found YouTube and then I found Burmis and I watched Loose Change and then that was it. Oh yeah. That wasn't even good enough for me. I actually got kind of red pilled on the air. I had, I was filling in for a weekday host, which is a lot more listeners and stuff. Stacy. And, uh, so I was like hyper preparing and it happened to be the day of the, um, Boston marathon bombing. And I just, I knew I had to go on the air. I knew people would ask me questions and I needed to know all the answers. And I, as I dug into that story, I realized that the media was changing the story, not issuing retractions. So I just, so loose change didn't do it. It was my just trying to piece together the Boston Marathon bombing. And then once I saw that that was clearly um, like the Sarnayevs were in probably in the CIA or the older brother, not the, not the younger one. He was totally going to be a dentist, but the, the other guy. And, uh, and then I realized that nine 11 it was possible what they said about 9-11. And then I started having an open mind about that stuff. And I just obviously never went back because it's, it's undeniable. Once the scales fall off your eyes, you cannot unsee that stuff. You just can't. And it's laughable. That's why I do my show because I'm like, just read the newspaper. It is a full of lies, like absolute lies. And so bad that I can tell you what's going to happen tomorrow because they wouldn't be saying this today if they weren't trying to like all this stuff about the stock market. Like, I think they're definitely like, they're like, Oh, the, 
the GameStop thing and there's all these investors in this Chinese company, whatever. I just feel like they're setting up something yeah. where it's this un unregulated, like as if it's unregulated at all, but like, it's just, oh, these rogue traders are going to collapse the system. Not zero interest rates forever. Not a zero reserve requirement. Not $4 trillion deficits. Not monetary stimulus up the wazoo. No, none of that is a problem. But it's the, it's that Reddit guy. I just, yeah. anyway, so you read, I read those newspapers and people are like, what do you think? Isn't that crazy? Those guys like took over. I'm like, I don't believe anything. So don't ask me. Looks like a setup. It took a yeah. couple of years, so maybe that one is authentic, but I just, I can't hardly believe anything anymore. Yeah, it's, it, it really is so confusing. Um, I, I don't even, I don't even tune into the mainstream media anymore. I just, I strictly stick to people that I follow like yourself and, and, uh, Burmis and Ricky and, and some other shows. And it, uh, and it, and it is. And even when you do, when, so the reason why I don't listen to the mainstream, because even when you do, it's just, it's a constant reaffirmation of the same thing that they're trying to program you with. Yeah. And it's over and over and over and over. And then, and then when, you know, they, they get you used to something by saying, Oh, a new strain's coming. <laughs> yes. You yes. know what I mean? Something like that. And you're like, Oh, okay. Well, there's probably going to be another lockdown here pretty soon because of that. Yeah. So they just, they, they kind of like get you, get you, uh, okay with it. You know, you start hearing yes, about hearing totally. about it, hearing about it. All right. So it's not so foreign. And then when it happens, you're already thinking that it was going to happen anyway. So you're just like, yeah. Oh, and yeah. then but they'll also change it up a little bit. So just as you got used to it and there was a lot of what I call uh things a rapist would say, like, if you'll just accept it. It's not hmm. so bad. Just let it happen. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> but then, but as they like give and take away the, the, what, like the standards or what the expectations are, like I, I live in LA now and they just, they change the numbers and they say they're going to open the school. My poor son, I have a son with Down syndrome and they told him he was going to go back to school. She was really looking forward to it. I think they told him like four different times and then mm. they, they didn't, but it just as regular kind of economic principle is that if you can't plan, you can't really prosper. And I feel like that's part of their kind mm. of plot. Like the great reset just screams to me, which is the world economic forums mm -hmm. plan, which emerged out of COVID, which they planned event 201, which anticipated the entire thing a month before it was launched. So obviously, you know, they had this thing teed up, but for me, when you're calling something a reset, what happens when you reset something, you set it to zero. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, I just feel like they're just trying to wipe us all out. Of course, not that little tiny little triangle on the top that they live in, but yeah, the rest of us. And it's just so ridiculously obvious and sinister now. I don't even feel, I mean, it's almost too crazy that basically the entire world fell into lockstep for stuff that is not legal and not logical. Just yeah. crazy. The whole world, you know, and these guys just snapped their fingers. And in the event 201 expose that they put out of themselves in October, they said, if elected officials won't do what we want, we have our rich buddies who are here right now calling them telling them you know it's and they literally said using soft power mm -hmm. to convince them and they just told them how told us how they're going to do it it's really mind-boggling to me i really can't i'm still not used to the idea that uh, how blatant it is and it's been a year yeah they did i mean it, 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 the the thing that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me is that all right so you can you can 
give trillions of dollars to the, to the, you know, the banks and to the, you know, whatever, you know, people that uh, corporations and, you know, all of that. But when it comes down to like not starving out your population and, you know, they, I, I almost feel like we're in the Roman times and we're all in the, in the center and here comes the, here comes the king in his chariot and they're throwing out bread. You know what I mean? <laughs> to the peasants. Yeah. I, I feel like that's what the 600 bucks was, you know? And yeah. then, and then, you know, they, they went on the platform of the 2000, you know, at 2000 checks and, you know, that's going to happen if you vote us in. And, you know, that happened and it went to 1400 and then mm-hmm. they wanted to give a thousand and then, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we're still not even knowing. And so in, so we got what 1800 in one year of, of people being, you know, locked out of their jobs and, and stuff like that. It's really sick. And they just would not let people make a choice of whether they wanted to risk going to work. I don't know, Mel- Megan Malala. You know what people tell me is, um, uh, Tina Fey. I used to have square glasses mm. and I looked at people would little, they actually kind of thought I was her sometimes like in airports and stuff. People would ask me if I was Tina Fey. Well, I should say it happened once when I was sitting in first class. So that, <laughs> <laughs> that could have been, the, that could have been it. So we're going to, we got about 15 to 20 more minutes. I got another one scheduled right after this, but how did you get your start? I mean, like what, what was it for you? that like kind of just said, you know what, that's it. I want to start talking about this and calling it out. You know, I hope I don't disappoint you. It was not my idea, although it was a natural. So what happened was I I have three kids. I had three babies and in diapers, they were all in diapers because my oldest has Down syndrome. So he was real laggard and I just didn't realize how hard babies was where so I had like a bunch of ones. And I had been a, I was the youngest of nine. My father's a truck driver. He didn't even want me to go to school. I dropped out of high school. I went to community college and my mother, I only went to community college because my mother freaked that I dropped out of high school. Like all her kids were dropouts, but I was like a goody two shoes kind of. So she, well, I mean, compared to people dying of drug overdoses. Mm-hmm. So she wanted me to go back. So I went back to community college and I, um, went to, graduate school and I became a banker and then I, there was a crash and I lost my job, but it was okay because I was having kids and everything. But I was, I really felt like I had to do something kind of prepare, maybe make some money when I was freed up and um, keep my mind going. So I started studying to be a chartered financial analyst. I figured I'd get back into finance, whatever. And it was so mentally stimulating that um, it's, it's, it's really funny. It's almost like if you put like a fertilizer on the ground, like anything will grow grass, weeds, whatever. So I just had this, I was like hypercharged <laughs> mentally. And at the same time that that thing was so hard, cause it's a three year test you have to take and it's all like math. So statistics, like how hedge funds work and stuff. And it really wasn't what I had done before I really had. So I just had to study like crazy all the time for no apparent reason, because I wasn't going to be able to go back to work for a long time. And I was reading Hans Hermann Hoppe at the same time, just happened to stumble upon it. And, uh, oh, it was, yeah, it was, it is Tina Fey. So, (laughs) so 
I was reading Hans Hermann Hoppe, who's an anarcho-capitalist, and I I just had given up on self-limiting government, but it never occurred to me that that wasn't the end of the world until I read Hoppe. And he, I guess, cites Rothbard and others who say there's a self society is self-ordering. And then it was just so obvious that, of course, it's self-ordering. I mean, that it just even our origins were kind of self-ordering. If you look at like the Knights Templar, they were mm-hmm. the security for for people going on the Crusades. And then they would carry letters of um, whatever it was, uh, the uh, letters of credit, I guess, that referred back to a bank. So you had the banker the security, the guy had a sword, like you just, this, these things emerge, especially in capitalist society, because you have surplus, you have trade, you have to secure the trade. There's no reason for a government to do that for you. Like there is absolutely no theoretical reason. And once you give the government this outside party, a right to um, protect you, the only business that guy's in is to make you feel insecure. Fiscally, once you start with socialism, then fiscal insecurity enters the thing. But even originally in a minarchist thing, like a very small government, your physical insecurity is, is there, is what they trade in. So your government has to be pathocratic. It has to be bad. It has to be contrary to your interests. So my mind was absolutely on fire with this stuff. And I was looking for something to do. I was probably going to go into finance, which would make a lot of money. But, uh, and I sat, I went to a wedding of a gal who everybody there spoke Portuguese except for me and this radio producer. So you'll notice that you asked me like one simple question and I'll probably talk for 10 minutes straight about stuff <laughs> that does not seem highly relevant. And, and I was telling her all this hop of stuff and I don't know where this shit came from, but she was just like, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And she said, and you could just talk to a post. I mean, it doesn't matter if anybody's listening. Am I right? I said, meet my husband. You mm-hmm. are right. <laughs> he just like sits there like, it's like he calls me a fire hose. He's just like, ah, uh, this is a fire hose. So, you know, he loves me. He was a big fan of the modern Christian. Anyway, so she brings me to immediately, like drops everything, brings me to her boss, who was the program director at WSB, which was the number one news talk radio station in the country. And this is basically what happened. And he's like, hi, how are you? And I'm just like, fire hose. And uh, he put me on the air that that weekend, that Saturday. And I was on the air every single solitary Saturday, except for I was kicked off for football when football was there. It was in my time yeah. slot. But I was there the entire time for eight and a half years until the day he retired and, and, uh, the place got taken over by somebody else. I had just like unrolled all this stuff. It was actually bought by the Epstein guy, the guy who ran Apollo, Leon Black, who stepped down because of Epstein stuff. And we mm. really cut, we, the first time we were on Sam Tripoli, it was about the Epstein stuff. And then this election stuff was ground zero in Georgia. And we were all over Stacey Abrams for years outing her left and right. And, so I was there for eight and a half years just, and I would say like, I'm an anarchist. Like I can't, I can't talk your politics. I don't care about politics. I've yeah, completely yeah. given up. So, but it was like an opportunity. It was very thrilling and I did it and, and my kind of compromise. And I think I was right. I think my compromise was correct, which was, yeah, I'm an anarcho-capitalist, but I don't need to burn the whole thing down. I can just, I want to kick the can. I want to just just call people's attention 
to what's in the Constitution, especially the Bill of Rights, which people are like, those aren't all your rights. It's kind of misleading. Like it's not. It's a restraint. It's express restraint on government. So they cannot, you know, that was a deal we made when we fought the revolution, I guess. I mean, to take the official narrative for it and, and they should have to answer for it. And I did for a while, a really long time. I was very successful communicating that. And even though I would recognize false flags and after the Boston Marathon bombing, I mean, I just knew, and I would just dig into the news and I would just see MH370, I figured out what, where that was, everything. It's all out there and it's just covered up constantly. Mm -hmm. And I would just tell people like, it doesn't matter if you think I'm right about that stuff. It doesn't matter. What I'm telling you is these things are happening so that they can convince you to give up your rights. If you have some backbone, you don't have to believe a word I say about how I interpret the events that are in those rags that land in your driveway every day. You just need to remember when they tell you that all this shit happened and then they say, therefore, Fourth Amendment's got to go, the Fifth Amendment's got to go, the Second Amendment's got to go, the First Amendment's got to go, the Ninth and Tenth are already gone. Um, When they tell you that stuff, you need to not believe it. And then you know what happened? What? Donald Trump got elected mm. and they said, and this is a quote that totally encapsulates the, where it went from there. Monica, you are quibbling about semantics when you quote the constitution because mm. I was using it against Trump instead of Obama. And then yeah. I really, really lost heart. And, uh, and then I realized that, um, I came to another epiphany, which was that libertarian, you know, my libertarian approach of kicking the can, I still defend the Bill of Rights. I will absolutely not. I do that thing with Garland. What could be more nitty gritty system, you know, defending than helping that or at least informing people about his fight in the courts. Mm -hmm. But I realized that trying to, to fight for liberty in a system that absolutely is there to to exploit your rights and liberty rather than to protect them it, and it just cannot but you could read our enemy of the state by albert j knock if you want a little like very simple elegant uh, analysis like that but then i started realizing that okay do i deserve liberty do i deserve the constitution do i deserve any of it fact is those guys who are in control of all that stuff are animals and they act like animals with their guns and their lies and their animals. So what do I need to do? Well, I don't have to act like an animal, but I should probably act like a fully formed human being, which is somebody who knows how to make food, um, use weapons, stuff like that. And I, I was inspired. I, I mean, I thought saying bad words was bad. I'm really going to say a bad word now. <laughs> I liked... Ted Kaczynski's book, Technological Slavery, it was really illuminating. And he said his ideas weren't original, Jacques Ellul. Others have um, said the same thing. That, And that's why I was saying, like, I'm, like, a little off on civilization now. I read another book, Against the Grain, where basically civilization was just a way to get people to grow the kind of food that could be confiscated for taxes. That f- prior to that, we could do permaculture. You, they knew how to cultivate food, but you'd grow potatoes and you can leave potatoes on the ground for a couple of years. Nobody can force you to dig them up and steal them for taxes. But if you grow grain, it'll harvest at the same time and they can come in there and steal it from you the second, you know, cause it's gonna, it's there. It's ready to go. You gotta pick it. 
So uh, I just started thinking that there was another way. Now, so I kind of don't call myself an anarcho-capitalist anymore. I really call myself an aspiring or philosophical agorist because I want, I, I try, of course, to engage in gray markets. Who doesn't? It's like a moral imperative, <laughs> and, you know, just to try to avoid any kind of surveillance or taxation or whatever. But the opportunities are very rare because they, they surveil everything. And, and you know, the closer you live into the city, the harder it is to have a chicken. So I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not walking the walk, but I'm a talker. I'm a thinker. I'm telling you what I, what I've concluded. And if it's impossible for me to execute, then I'm just, I, I am truly in a cage as a slave or I'm too old or whatever. But I'll tell you, my kids, they, they look around and they think, I should probably know how to grow something just cause you know, you talk. I don't know. I don't know if I'm doing any good, but I, but I have come to that conclusion that it's so. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a huge problem with, with our society is that, I mean, if, if, if things stopped and halted as, as we know them and there, we were forced to depend on yourself, you had to run for the hills and start, you know, living like hunter gatherers. How many of us would be able to do that? How many of us would be able to survive um, something like that? Because we're not prepared. Mm-mm. We would all be able to do it. Yeah, we could if we if we knew how. But there's so many distractions out there. There's so many things that you know, and and a lot of the, a lot of this stuff is definitely by design, for sure. But the um, so the so the podcasting thing wasn't. You know, so I did that and then we just, my, um, producer on that show, kind of a co-host, oh, mm-hmm. he's a sidekick. Then now he's my co-host on Propaganda Report. And I think we really do a good job. So they never gave me the daily show on the rate, on the terrestrial radio, but they taught me so well that I just decided the time was right for us to do it just a daily show ourselves. And mm-hmm. we're doing it. We're kind of learning as we go, inventing kind of how a format would work where you can pay the bills because it's a full-time job for both of us, which is really a lot of hours for one podcast to have two people working 40 hours a week. I mean, it's a lot. And, uh, but the patrons really are the ones who make it possible for us. Well, and that goes, that just goes to show that you have people that are, are, are wanting this kind of content and information. People are starved for the truth, you know? Yeah, we try to mix it up so that we present the news of the day for people who are still interested in that. But there are people, a lot of people are just moving away from that. So we do a lot of other things like we have interviews um, and, you know, we're going to do a live stream with our friend Adam the Agorist, who you've probably, or Gorist, who you've probably seen on Union of the Unwanted once or twice. Mm-hmm. We're doing that February 20th on the Propaganda Report YouTube channel. But, but I, um, but the I wanted to tell you if you'll hear it about the the lowest point I was ever at because I know mm, yeah we never we even got to that time. yeah I got uh, we can we can go to fifty all right seven seven hey, minutes seven minutes I'll give you six okay so I so I um. Where I worked, I went to school, kind of got a late start because I went to a lot of school and I, whatever. But so when we, uh, I got married, my husband was 
People are a little iffy on him because he doesn't say a lot. And my family were talkers and he was from Texas and we we're from New York. So maybe the jury was out a little bit. And uh, I moved to Texas with him and we were expecting our first child. And um, he came early and to our surprise, he had Down syndrome. And it was the first child, like it was unbelievably devastating. Like this was not something I could deal with at all. And I, uh, so I've been through some hard knocks, not like you, but I certainly saw them and growing up in a house like that, it was hard to whatever. So I'd always just could always, I always had that philosophy of like, if you don't like it, if it's not working, fix it. Nobody's going to mm-hmm. help you just go. So this happened. And, and when I like, when the doctor told me this and I just, like it was just like falling backwards into an elevator shaft. It was like the worst. And I looked into myself like deep, you know, I just looked and every other time my whole life when I had that moment and I looked inside myself and I just found where you could grab onto those bootstraps and just, you know, I'm going to get through this. It was nothing. It was just a black void. There was nothing there except for, uh, what was I thinking? I remember thinking, I don't know. I just, I felt bad. I felt mm-hmm. bad. And I, I didn't want to look at my husband because I was afraid that he would be like really disappointed that he married me because mm-hmm. they always blame the woman. Mm-hmm. And he absolutely did not. As a matter of fact, he loved that baby. He didn't care at all. It was the craziest thing. It was quite an inspiration for a guy who people were on the fence about. And when I looked at him and I asked him, like, I mean, it took hours before I could say anything, but I looked at him and I asked him what he was thinking. And he said, well, I was at the baseball game a couple of weeks ago and I saw so we were like close to having a baby. So he was excited mm-hmm. about being a dad. And he said on the, on the jumbotron was a picture of a dad and his son and his son had down syndrome and they looked like they're having a good time. And he said, I thought that's the kind of dad I want to be. And now I have the chance. And it was like so inspirational. So it's an awesome story. Yeah. And he, and like, it's not like this was whatever uh prince charming situation we <laughs> yeah, had yeah. plenty of cultural problems like culture clash when we got married but that totally changed the trajectory of our marriage and our relationship and he like i really saw the depth of his character immediately and he just loved that baby when i could not deal with it at all mm. and then uh but what is really the bigger moral of the story was that it felt like the worst thing that ever happened to me and it was actually the best thing that ever happened to me like this kid is awesome he's unusually awesome my husband says i say that just cuz he's my son i'm like no he's unusually awesome people love him and and my mother told me at the time she was like yeah because they lie to you you know they're hard these kids are hard don't get me wrong but they're not yeah. sad so um she said yeah everybody the doctors like make it sound really bad cuz they they don't want you to have these babies so they they show it was just another example of like don't don't worship the medical mm-hmm. establishment don't believe everything you hear 
I mean, it is hard and not living near my family was hard, but I mean, I can't imagine my life without this kid and it's really been enriching and it was a great experience for everybody, Mm -hmm. but it was just, you know, a lot of lessons were learned and I feel like it was a worthwhile endeavor, even though it was very, very hard. And, uh, and it looked like there was, there was nowhere to go period, but and it took a long time, but pretty, you know, uh, two last things I will say. One is that, um, for like two years, I could see in my, I said to a friend of mine who also had a special, like a devastating, um, birth problem and, uh, for her son. And I said, you know, I just see that little, like dark place in my heart every time, you know, I just look look there and I wonder if that'll ever go away. And it went away the day I brought my daughter home from the hospital. Mm. So I was totally healed by this new little baby. I love them all, (laughs) but it really was such a healing. So anytime someone has like a rough child, baby like that, whatever they, I always say, you know, another baby, be like, it's too hard. Have another baby. And then, uh, and that I, after that, I realized that any day that is not devastatingly tragic is awesome. <laughs> you know, any day that something really bad doesn't happen is an awesome day that you should cherish because the bad days will come and mm-hmm. just, you just want to, you know, have your cocktail if that's your thing, go for <laughs> a walk, you know, walk your dog, pet your dog, hug your kids, but the bad days will come. So might as well really cherished ones. And I was never, I used to have a little bit of depression. I never, ever, ever had another day of depression after that. You know, once I got out of it. Yeah. Well, that's great. I'm glad you did get out of it. And that was a great story. Um, you know, I, I have a three and a half year old daughter and we had, uh, me and uh, my ex had ours late too. You know, she was late thirties and, and it, and it, and it, it's both of the parents, um, the sperm as well as the, it's, it it depends on both of them. It has nothing, you know, the older that it is, the harder it will be or the, the heart, the, the more, the, the chances increase uh, on both sides of it. So. Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, so yeah, thank you for coming out and, and hanging out with me and, and interacting with, uh, with with some of the listeners there and uh why don't you go ahead and well we got one more stacy scott so glad i caught your show today sean great convo. oh thank you awesome. i hope i didn't just squeeze that in too much but i just wanted to tell you because that was just a kind of rock bottom story yeah well i mean we all have them you know and the more that we talk right. about them uh, the more that other people can start resonating with them and getting through whatever it is that they may be going through or thinking it, that they're the only ones. And, you know, I'm, I'm the only one that's going through this. Yeah. It's a great thing also when you want to treat other people with compassion and patience mm-hmm. that you just do not know what that person's going through right then. And if it's a good day for you, give a little. Yeah. Absolutely. Little 
Absolutely. So why don't you go ahead and tell everybody yes. where they can follow you? Thank you. Uh, I tweet a fair amount at Monica Perez show. You can find, I have a little community, like a little fake little Twitter on my URL, thepropreport.com, my website, which is really fun. And we're starting to do meetups. So go there. You can hear all of my shows. We have a continuous stream player there. We do tons of extra content every single day. We do extra content. We do cocktail parties live. We do zoom parties. So if you want to just check awesome. out all the different things we have, on patreon.com slash propaganda report and Binkley brings this crazy stuff clips of the conspirators conspiring we do these um, exclusive videos for Rockfin and he brings World Economic Forum stuff Brookings Institution information ops from the army it's amazing what's out there if you spend the time to do the research and he just blows my mind every time so rockfin.com slash propaganda report it's subscription but a lot of those guys from Union of the Unwanted Mm -hmm. are there and you get everybody's content for that subscription it's kind of like a free thinkers Netflix it's really fantastic and that's it that's all I do pretty much well, that's awesome. And like I said, thank you for coming out and hanging out with me. I hope we stay in contact. Uh, Sean, you should plug your stuff because if you let me, I'll put this in my feed. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, you can find me on, uh, at linktr.ee. Hold on one second. We can just go ahead and do my little thing right there. All the ways to connect to the show, support the show, uh, monetarily, uh, all the social media links. So, merchandise patreon all that stuff although my patreon isn't really anything right now not nothing like any of the other people that i follow uh it'll get there at some point um so yeah just that's the best way to follow this show i do a live stream um all the time i mean like i've got back to back tonight uh it just depends on when when uh my guests schedule the show and i just do it then and then tomorrow it'll come out on the uh podcast platforms i'll turn around and flip it and and put it out tomorrow fantastic thank you so much you're welcome and hopefully we stay connected and um you know and and do this some more and hopefully for a longer period of time because i do i'd love to do a two-hour dive with you and just i'll do whatever you want i never (laughs) stop talking so you just pretty much need to go cut and then we'll pick it up the next time (laughs) totally fine that's how i got that job in the first place in answer to your question finally (laughs) just never stop talking (laughs) well that works because i I always got questions (laughs) thanks a million short. I really appreciate it. I appreciate it too. And let's go ahead and take us out here with the outro. All right, Monica, I'll catch you later. You've been listening to the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. Sean is a single dad, a union blue collar guy, and he spent time in federal and state prison for drug trafficking and fraud. When he was released from prison in 2006, all he had was the clothes on his back, a bag of mail, and some paperwork. Since then, he's turned his life around and shares the struggles and successes on this podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we hope you were moved to connect to the show. Book a guest spot. For merch, Patreon, PayPal, and social media links, go to linktr.ee slash nowhere to go but up. On Instagram at nowhere to go but up now. On Twitter at but up now. On the YouTube channel at nowhere to go but up podcast. See you next time.